Hey, Josh. Yeah? This episode of FGI has a sponsor, CineKitList. Yeah, and if you go to Facebook slash groups slash CineKitList, you get to enjoy a bunch of discounts. Uh, we've actually been a member for a while. I personally love everything that they have to offer. If you go to the Facebook page, Facebook slash groups slash CineKitList, you'll see all the specials they have. Light panels, innovative, Quasar Science, Easy Rig. Yeah, so if you want the same deals that Kevin's getting, then you should go to Facebook slash groups slash CineKitList. Tell them that FGI sent you, and then you'll be able to enjoy all the great discounts on the gear that you use. This is Josh. And this is Kevin. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we have Fernando Garcia. He's a rigging electric in Atlanta, Georgia. I've worked with Fernando myself a few times in the past, and Fernando's worked on such films in Atlanta as Avengers Affinity War. So, Fernando, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, I guess this is essentially an ex-key grip and his two best boys. That's all this episode is going to be. Just you guys complaining about how terrible your job was and how unappreciated you were and how much I had to do all the heavy lifting for everybody. No, no, no. Uh It's it's how we had to do the heavy lifting to help you. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's more accurate. Remember, remember, you're the old man in the group. (laughs) By what? I mean, a few years at least. Well, you yeah, probably have more gray hairs than me. Oh, that's for sure. I do have a, I do have a lot of gray hairs. <laughs> Josh also might have more just hair than me in general, but hey. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, the time when like the gray hair starts showing up on your chest—that's like when it's like, oh, geez, the the days I'm I'm closer to the other side of the hill than I am to like the upward slope. I'm now like starting to crest towards the downward slope and you're like, all right, well, here it goes. It just, it's easy from here it's on the, out. It's the, it's the tail end of, uh, of life yeah. as you know it. Yeah. Now <laughs> you're just looking for momentum. So. <laughs> well, uh, Fernando, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, you are a, um, rigging electric in Atlanta. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. And I want to say thanks so much for having me. And many congratulations to the success of the podcast. It's been great. Um, Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. I know you've uh, been listening since episode one and uh, very subtly giving hints that you'll be a guest. And uh, (laughs) we we were purposely waiting until we we knew that we could somewhat sustain ourselves. Then we we knew we could get you on. Yeah, it's all good. (laughs) I'm here. That's all that matters. What's up? So so how did you kind of start your career and kind of, Tell everybody how you ended up in Georgia. Well, my journey, like probably everybody else's journey, is unique to them. You know, uh, when I was younger, I thought I was going to be a full-time photographer. And through various different experiences, I found production. And then when I got on a set for the first time, I saw what D&E was doing. And I immediately was like, that's it. That's where I want to be. So... Uh, I started in photo. I was assisting for a while uh, in the Tampa St. Pete area. And from photo, got a connection to start being a production assistant. And then after being a production assistant for however, I forgot how much time, but I decided, okay, no more production assistant gigs. I'm only going to do, you know, the gigs that pay what I'm worth. And more importantly, like grip and lighting, grip and electric gigs. And so I switched at the HSN from the photo studio 
to the, gosh, I forgot what, what they called it, uh, location, remote production, I think is what they called it. And then simultaneously, I was just trying to get as many freelance gigs, being a gripper electric. And, uh, you know, did a whole bunch of different things and met you guys along the way. We had some we had some great jobs together, but I eventually decided that in order for me to really grow into what I really wanted to do and have more opportunity, Florida was not the place for me. And so I made the decision to move to Atlanta and now I've been here working on a bunch of different stuff, met, a, met some great people, learned a lot. And I'm pretty happy other than for this whole, you know, Corona thing. So, but you know, that'll solve itself eventually. Yeah. So explain like what the, the transfer from Florida to Georgia was like for someone that maybe is thinking about doing the same thing or maybe even leaving Georgia or Florida to go out to LA, you know, making that move. What was it like? What did you have to take into account? And you also had the added layer of, you know, dealing with, with union stuff and making sure that you were prepared for that in Georgia. So can you explain that a little bit? Sure can. I mean, it's just like you said, uh, when you go to Atlanta, you're going to a place where a overwhelming majority of production is union. And so with that, you got to join the union. So you got to save up money to pay the initiation fees to become a member. And, you know, one of the first things that they would tell me was that, you know, this union is not a hiring hall. Just because you join, it doesn't mean that you're going to get work. So you have to start networking immediately. And I remember part of the application process was having two people that would kind of like sign off on you who are already in the union. And so like the whole, the whole reason for that was like, well, one, they want one of their girls to be say, okay, this guy is fine. But also it's a place for you to start from, to start your networking from. So, you know, the guys that kind of signed you on, they might give you a day or two through their best boy, or maybe they are best boys. And then, you know, that first day, when you get on a set, hey, I'm Fernando. How you doing? What's your name? You got to start networking. You got to start making connections. And slowly but surely, you make more connections. You're getting more regular work. And uh, you're, you're in it. You're working. So other than that, the, the union aspect was like a whole other thing for me to really learn about which in which what I mean by that is everybody has their job and so you are supposed to do what you're supposed to do as opposed to an indie set where like everybody's just kind of on the same team to get it done and people are going to be helping out other people union sets you are in the department you're in and that's all you need to worry about so it was just like learning those those like those things and just seeing how, how everything flows and seeing like what the hierarchy is, how, how people ask for things, how you're supposed to communicate, all that kind of stuff, which is a little different from a smaller market, non-union in Florida. So I think that pretty much sums it up. 
Gotcha. Well, I mean, you, you moved up to Atlanta because you wanted to kind of go on to the bigger projects. Uh, and as a as a now rigging electric, can you explain what your primary responsibility is? I mean, that's kind of where you're kind of um, you're currently at in your career. Uh, what what does that entail? So the rigging electric department is the department in charge of electrical distribution for the stage or for a set on location. And so they lay out all the cable distribution boxes, hook up the generators, and we'll set up any lights that is going to be advantageous for the first units to just come in and pop them on. So you're not going to expect the first unit of the huge show to be rigging lights on a condor. Like that's that's going to eat up time, precious time when the actors are on set and where everybody's there, because you know time is money, especially when you're when you're shooting. And so it's it's those kinds of things: it's rigging lights on location, whether it be on a condor or on a rooftop, whatever it may be, and rigging lights and electricity on a stage. That's what we're dealing with. And you report to the rigging gaffer, correct? Which we actually will be talking to a rigging gaffer that you work with um, in a future episode. Fantastic. Yes, I report to him, although, uh, well, him or her, but although um, usually the how the information comes down the line is gaffer will talk to their best boy. Best boy would disseminate information as it needs to be known. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, the gaffer is my boss, but also the best boy is my boss. So we just got to listen to everybody. Having kind of done both worlds, you know, you hear a lot that rigging unit is the bee's knees, um, as opposed to on set. Could you kind of give, you know, for someone that maybe is just hearing about a rigging unit, okay, I realize that they go ahead or maybe after you know, the main unit, but can you tell someone some of the key differences as you see them having done both worlds and maybe some advice, well, let's just, let's just start there and then I'll hit the other one. Just talk a little bit about the differences between a main unit and a, and a rigging unit and uh, why do you prefer one over the other? So, I mean, off the bat, I'll tell you that one of the biggest reasons I wanted to join the rigging unit was because your schedule is not going to be insane. I mean, when you're on a shoot crew, what I think a lot of people don't understand is that the production department wants to shoot as long as they can possibly shoot, which always goes like 12, 13 hours. But then actors, other high-level people need to have a certain turnaround. And so your call time just keeps on getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And by the time it's Friday, really it's a Friday. It's Friday into Saturday. Right. You know, so it's like good, say goodbye to, to a Friday night going out. That that doesn't happen for you anymore, which is, you know, it's fine. Listen, I liked it when I was in first unit. First unit is really what I started doing when I got to Atlanta. Um, but it just gets, it gets old after a little bit. And, you know, I have my wife that I'm in Atlanta with and you know, she works a regular kind of nine to five deal and all my time with her is precious. So I hated that. Like I was always on this weird schedule 
I'd wake up at like Saturday at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. Most of my Saturday's done. You know, we'll spend time, we'll spend as much time together. But, you know, when you're on a rigging crew, you have way more regular hours. You're still going to work just as hard, <laughs> but you have way more regular hours and you can make plans for a Friday night every once in a while. It's nice. <laughs> who would have who thought having a Friday night to be with your wife, you know, like you would think that that would be a thing that people would want, but whatever. Well, not everyone can be rigging unit, you know? So it's oh, like, we, we still got to have the onset unit, but I would, you probably do a lot less putting up and taking down, you know, in, in a short period of time with rigging unit as well. Cause explain the process of going before main unit and then what happens if you come behind main unit, just kind of give what it looks like to kind of come in and, and rig something and what some of the problems are when you're coming ahead of a unit and rigging and maybe, you know, uh, that you, that you're kind of seeing when you're doing that. I mean, so the way that it always goes is that people do a scout obviously, and they figure everything out that they need to figure out. So, DP and first unit gaffer are speaking and they're like, oh, it'd be cool to do this and light this from over here. Well, obviously you're going to need power somewhere around close to that light that's also hidden because obviously you don't, you're not seeing big cables on a show. So you got to figure out, okay, how am I going to route it? Blah, blah, blah. So they come up with a game plan for that. So you get there in the morning, you have a bunch of cable, a bunch of distro boxes from the truck, you're laying out this cable, you're routing it in a way where it's going to be hidden from the camera and where it's going to be the most out of the way, unless it has to go through a specific spot that like there happens to be a bunch of foot traffic in. Like, like we have our ways of dealing with that too, but we always try to make things so it's like out of the way and not bothering anybody. And, you know, we just get to work. We, for when we get there, we'll rock, we'll walk what they call the line the the imaginary line of like where all the cable is going to be with the best boy and let's say okay we're going to go 100 feet down this way and then we're going to make a we're going to make a right hand turn here there's going to be a 1200 distro right here with a two by three uh spider box and then out of that is going to be blah 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 so like you go th you, you walk it out you take a notes in your head you might be taking notes on a piece of paper throughout this whole thing because also like part of being a rigging electrician, part of doing any kind of job is like, yeah, your bosses are going to tell you we're going to need to have this here, but they're, but they're not going to tell you you need X, Y, and Z to make that happen. You need to know that. Right. So you're just making mental notes. Okay, well, if he wants this here, then i got to get blah, blah, blah. And so walk the line, give the notes, and then break off into smaller groups and, and get it done. That's pretty and much that what's the what's it look like from a cruise perspective when you guys are out rigging i mean is it just you guys are the rigging grips there with you too is there also some kind of production support are, are you on your own for meals i mean is transpo there what does the typical kind of you know setup production wise look look like when you know rigging's in town so it's not always the same but i'll give you an example for for like a stage so obviously, like where you are on the stage, everything is happening there. So you're going to have construction crews building the set. You're going to have painters painting. 
prop people setting up their thing. Like everybody's kind of like trying to get their little piece of land to have a little home base to be working from. And everybody's just kind of working on top of each other. Plus like you have lifts inside the stage. So it's kind of hectic. You need to learn how to navigate and work with everybody else with all the other different departments. And, you know, there'll be all sorts of things going on now on location, depending on how long the production has rented out that location for, there have been times where like, it's, it's just rigging electric out there. And there have been times where obviously our department rigging have already been there and done, and done what they need to do. And then we go in and put in the electrical distribution session, rig lights onto condors, set up lights on, on stands and just have like everything ready to go for when first unit comes to start shooting. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much the gist of it. I mean, there's a lot going on for sure. Or the, I mean, or there can be just us. It, it really depends. Like so many different variances happen. So with there's being so many moving parts, how critical is safety and just set safety in general? It's absolutely critical. You need to, you need to know enough to be looking for things to be um, cautious of. So obviously if I'm a rigging grip and I'm rigging a bunch of speed rail and I see something sparking near a piece of speed rail, <laughs> that can come electrocute you. Not that that happens, but you know, you just have to, you have to know enough from other things to see other hazards. And then you just say, you report it to your best boy and that best boy will relay that information to the best boy of that department. But mostly it's just like, you just got to communicate. Everybody, we're all human here. We're all trying to get our work done. We're all trying to just go home at the end of the day and you just got to communicate. It's one of the, one of the few times I will openly give Josh uh, credit because, you know, I don't want his ego growing mm. too much. Mm. Um, but <laughs> You know, on on sets with Josh, you you know, you always made it a point to say slow as pro. Let's do it the right way. Let's be safe. Um, and I think all three of us have seen unsafe practices at times, and it's uh, it's it's scary. I mean, you see, you see, you know what, Josh, you and I have had this conversation. What every two years, roughly, you hear about a major incident on some sort of movie set. Um, I mean, it seemed like for the last three years, you hear a major incident every six months, you know, or especially related to, you know, every turn around, you might hear of a stunt person getting hurt or something happens with a condor or, well, you know, a, something a, along those lines. A condor incident happened uh, recently on a, on a, you know, decently sized uh, TV show um, and girl was too close to the, the bucket lift and someone started moving the lift down and clocked her right in the head and she broke vertebrae and i mean it's yeah um i i don't know how it played out i just saw the initial report and you know she got immediately taken um you know to the hospital and had to if memory serves she had to go straight into surgery um for for the for the you know she shattered her vertebrae i mean it's it's a it's a lift that's going to win against human bones um yeah so, you know, there's, there's just times where, you know, sa set safety is, um, 
you know, more critical than other times, but it's always critical. Do you guys, um, you know, how, how important is it for, for there to be additional, um, uh, like certifications and, um, uh, tests, you know, everything in Atlanta is, it's, it's big, you know, let's call it what it is. It's big productions. Do you have to go through, you know, certain criteria to be on different sets? So, uh, I'm going to be honest about this. You have to get a kind of like a license of sorts that you go somewhere and you take a class for about like three or four hours and they'll, they'll tell you, Hey, this is, these are like the best practices when you're using this kind of machinery, yada, yada, yada. But honestly, it takes a long time to really understand the places where like you have to be more careful right? and you really have to be looking like, like when every time I'm on a condor, like my head is always on a swivel. I mean, I'm trying to look everywhere because especially when you're on a stage, I mean, the thing that always gets me is that these ceilings for the sets, they're being suspended by a cable that's coming from a support in the ceiling and like, in like the, in the rafters of the, of the stage. Right. And so you are weaving through these cables to get to wherever you need to get to, to rig cable or to rig a light or whatever. And your head needs to be on a swivel. So you need to be hyper aware of what's going on. So sometimes people will, will, will say things just in general, like, Hey, I'm moving the left I'm moving this way. Or if you know you're going to go somewhere and you need to move the lift, we're like, there could be people walking into you're going to go down, get off the lift and say, Hey guys, I'm going to do blah, blah, blah right over here. I just want you to know so that, you know, you know that I'm there. Yeah. I mean, obviously best case, which isn't always the case, uh, is to have a spotter, you know, with you if you can, but that's not always the thing. So like you said, warm someone that you're moving them and letting them know where you're going and everything. Um, but you're completely right. Cause I mean, there was a, there was a gig, Kevin, that we did, Remember when we were putting all the the Christmas tree lights into that big tree? Yep. And oh, I can't remember the name of that project now. It got, it got um, changed. It was originally uh, Yellow Eyes, the man with yellow eyes. And yeah. then it got, um, um, I forget the new name. Um, it'll come to me randomly. Yeah. And we, we were there hanging all that. You know, that was a rigging day for us. We were there basically. We had shown up, you know, the the morning early that morning and had rigged all day and you know main unit was coming in right at you know sunset and gonna shoot through the night and everything and um you know we're going off this humongous it looks like it, to me i know it wasn't that big but it looked like the the tree of life that you see at animal kingdom in orlando it was so huge and you know we're going to the top of this thing we're going all over it all around it putting these christmas lights in it so the whole tree lights up at night um, with this condor and as you're going around, you know, it's real easy to, and a lot of times when I'm, when I would be driving the condor, someone would run out in front of me or you see some, a PA and a SUV, you know, drive out, you know, somewhere where we've got cable, you know, we've got all this cable run all over the place and they're just driving out with an SUV. Some of the cables mark, some of it isn't cause we just, there's just not that many cones in the existence of the planet to mark the entire path of a cable. And some of you can't mark because you're hiding the path of the cable. You got 
PAs driving out everywhere with SUVs and all this and all that because production doesn't have everything properly handled. It's it's an indie film. And, you know, at some point you kind of just start, you know, yelling at some people and saying, hey, you can't do that. And, you know, they wonder why I'm such a stickler for safety. And it's because something can happen in a minute as simple as me driving the lift, hitting some soft ground or not seeing a divot in the ground or some kind of unlevel ground that I can't see from up in the basket or, and you know, that starts, that can be something as simple as the lift is now on level. It will stop driving. It, it, it'll go into warning mode or if that fails and it's too big of a gap, it could tip the lift. You know, there's just so much to take into account. And then someone driving over a stinger, you know, I mean, not a stinger, but a, a cable in their SUV could do not only damage the cable, but do loads and all kinds of stuff. And so I know, and I've heard a few butts over time with being a stickler for safety or where to move and not do this and not do that. Um, mostly to the chagrin of people that just don't get it. Um, but it's never, I would say if you're listening and you have someone that's getting onto you for safety, it's like, it's never a case of, they necessarily think you're stupid or, you know, they think that you shouldn't be on set. Don't take it personally. Like they're, they're doing it because they don't want anything to happen to you and they don't want anything to happen to the gear. Yeah. I mean, yep. we, we hear about the incidents every, you know, as you said earlier, every six months or every year and a half, like a major incident happening. Um, and those are the ones that are just, you know, they're so large that that's why they make the, the headlines. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, smaller injuries every day and it's just, it's not worth it. It's, you know, we're, we're just making a movie and running in front of a condor. That, that, that's one that I never, never understood when someone kind of does that, like light jog in front of a condor just cause they want to get to the other side instead of just literally like going around. I'm like, well, okay. So you, you really think that the condor is going to like stop on a dime and not run you over if we're moving like, okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah. People, it's, I think you guys have talked about it before, but like some people just don't have that common sense, which is so important on a set. And if you don't get it, then I don't know how you're going to last in the industry because there are a lot of other hurdles to get over. And if you can't grasp the concept of like safety is important, and you're not you're not the only person that matters there like everybody else is trying to get a job done too so right you know it's like you said slow is pro yeah i mean i just there's this big propensity like on set especially and maybe not so much with rigging union you can tell me if i'm i've never you know occasionally doing occasional rigging unit jobs is not working on rigging unit day in and day out and dealing with the intricacies of it and everything. Um, you know, most of my career was spent on set and at least on live set. I don't know if this is a problem on rigging unit, but on live set, there's a big deal with getting behind or needing something done quick and certain people in certain positions, uh, needing something within an amount of time, allow it to escalate the, not only their frustration level, but it allows them to escalate their, the feeling of immediacy. And it's like this one potted plant or this one 
light has to move now. And if it doesn't move exactly right now, two seconds from now, the entire day is ruined. It has that feeling of immediacy. And if you're new or fresh, haven't been doing it long, and you allow that kind of mentality of immediacy to eke into how you do your work, you're going to make bad decisions. And you're going to, it's not that we don't, no one wants to hustle. Like, I don't think there's a single person with the outside of maybe one or two, like, PAs or someone new that's fresh and doesn't know. But I mean, I don't think there's most anybody on a set that isn't willing to hustle. And so it's not saying not to hustle, but it's like, slow down and think about what you're doing. Because if you allow someone else's rush to affect how you do your job, you're going to not think properly about a situation. You're not going to evaluate the situation. You're not going to think about how you're moving something, where you're moving it, where you're touching it at, where you're picking it up from. And that's just when you know, who's behind you, who's, who's over there around the corner. It's just, that's <laughs> when bad decision-making comes in and someone gets hurt. And it's that need for something to happen so quick that you have to just sit back, relax, breathe, and be like, it's going to get done. It's going to get quick. I just cannot allow myself to fall into their, you know, their need for urgency, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I completely agree. agree. You, you all remember uh, Dropity. I think all three of us remember Dropity quite well. We probably still have nightmares, PTSD, at least on my end. Um, mm. The There was a... Um, well, yeah, but the reason you have PTSD is different than the reasons that we have PTSD. Oh, I mean, we still all, have, we still all have it from that job. But yes, um, that's... Okay. Yeah, very different reason. Um <laughs> The, when we were shooting upstairs um, one of the days in the uh, master bedroom and a camera assist had the speed rail pipe turning the corner and did, he, he called points as he was in the doorway, which I was like, mm, you're a little late on, on calling points if you're already in the doorway. Um, and the speed rail pipe, and he had the pipe at his, um, at his uh, waist and I got a speed rail straight to the shin um cracked my shin open had a nice little black and blue that's why because he was told by five other people in, on set you know i i don't i don't know who is who was yelling at him to hurry get this out get this out get this out but some you know several or one person specifically i don't know who was just saying go 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 and he took the speed rail from the dana dolly and turned that corner without saying points early enough and also was moving at a very fast space and I got speed rail straight to the shin. Um, not ideal. Not, I mean the extra three seconds for him to kind of maybe do a brisk walk instead of like a full blown sprint with eight foot speed rail in his hand. Uh, what's, what's really, you know, an extra three, five seconds isn't going to do anything other than not bust open my shin. So, you know, that that's just one example per what you were saying, Josh is people, People rush when they when they feel like their job is literally in jeopardy if they don't do this right the second. Oh yeah, and I'll I'll add on that some more by working with electricity. You know, you got to make sure that certain connections are made. Mm-hmm. You got you got to call out. Okay, plugging this in, breakers on, breakers off. But wait a second, did we check the lamp to make sure that it has the bulb? Mm-hmm. Anybody check that? No. Okay, we'll check that. Put the bulb in. You make the connections like like it's going to take the time it's going to take. And I feel like at the level of production I've been working on, 
in Atlanta, a lot of people really understand that. And right. there isn't as much like, no, 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 no. It's like, dude, we need to get this done quickly, but do it safely. Right. And so people allow that extra time. I know that like there's been instances where I'm in a condor and I have to put a four by four gel on an 18K. And let me tell you something, that ain't easy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. There there have been times where like the gaffer doesn't want you to move the light. And you and yeah. you just gotta be the guy to make it happen. And you know, listen, I'm up there and I'm strapped in. And that is almost but, an impossible task to put a four by four frame or gel or something in an 18K and not move it with the one little bit, you know, yeah. like it, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are times where like, hey, you know, it's like it's like I said earlier, communication is key. Hey, um, I understand you want me to do this. And my God, I'm I'm like doing the movement where like I'm bringing my hand to my chest to talk on my radio piece. (laughs) 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 So I'm talking to the gaffer. I'm like, hey, cool. You want this four by four CTO on? Not a problem. But in order for me to do it really safely, I'm going to need to turn the light into the basket in order to put it on. And most of the time, you know, they're all, they're all good people. They're all human beings. I'll be like, yeah, it's okay. Do it. We'll focus it back in. It's not a problem. But then, you know, there are times where they'd rather not because of whatever reason. And you just got to make it happen. God, that was the thing that like, I needed to really like, oof. I'm, I'm like thinking about it right now and just thinking like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> Going out there and just trying to like rig this thing. And there were times where like, the, the light was set up in such a way and they'd be like, Oh, but blah, 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 can you do this? And it was a little windy. And I just tell them like, no, I don't think I can do it safely. And that they'd say, Oh, okay. And you know, I wouldn't necessarily be scolded or not called back. Um, it's just one of those things where like, you got to trust the guy up there. And thankfully, right. like I've been in a condor enough with certain gaffers where they know that like that I have a clue of what I'm doing up there and that, and that they trust me enough to know that like, if this guy's really telling me that he really doesn't feel safe doing that, then I'm just going to take his word for it and we'll move on. Cause it's also a thing of like, how long am I willing to wait for this? You know what I mean? That that's like the kind of little game that you got to play as a gaffer. You know, you want to light the crap out of everything. Well, not necessarily, but you want to do the best job you can. And grips are going to always want to go in there and, you know, put three cutters and this and that. But sometimes you just don't have the time, even though you're pre-lit. As in like, you know, standing comes in and you light the scene, but then something may change or somebody may give a note that they want to have changed. And so you got to move quickly and they got to figure out, okay, well, how long is this going to take? And they just kind of ask, like, hey, if, if I needed you to do this, how long do you think it's going to take you to get it done? And you need to give them a time limit. And then they'll make a decision as to whether or not they'll push to have that done in that time limit. And so you just got to communicate. It's always back to communication with me. I've been saying it like three, four times, but it's, it's really important. You got to know what to, be, what to communicate, how to communicate it, and know what's expected of you. Right. 
with with all the rigging you've been doing, what are what are some just fun examples that you have? What are your what are your favorite um, sets that you've been on? And just can we talk about you know a little bit more of the specifics behind rigging, uh, being a rigging electric, and just some of the things that you've actually had the privilege of doing since moving to Atlanta? Um, so on a rigging crew, I worked on a film that's a sequel to coming to America. And that was like the first film that I was pretty much from this, from the beginning all the way through the end, like on the rigging crew, essentially full time. And on on that crew, like that was, I had a great time with that crew. I love all those guys. And we were able to rig all the various stages and do rigs obviously outside. And I remember like learning like how how it is that you rig lights to chain motors on the on the on the rafters on the uh, on the ceiling, and just how like you need to you need to rig the cables and things in a certain way so that like when you actually raise and lower these things, that the cable goes with it. I just remember seeing them like, oh my god, that's ingenious. That's so awesome. And then we were also building this big light boxes of like 10 sky panels and this whole, like, just like the way you rig that and the way you need to, gosh, there's like so many different ways to do things, but learning why the best boy and the gaffer would pick the things that they are picking to get this rig done was very insightful. And I love learning that stuff. So there was a, there was specifics behind the gear choices is that correct yes yeah so as you know a lot of things well not a lot of things pretty much everything is is run from a board you know the gaffer will talk to the to the lighting light operator the board op and they'll say oh give me number blah 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 at 50 percent blah 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 whatever whatever commands he wants right and then they'll put that in they'll do it and then, you know, sometimes like, well, not, not sometimes, but at least like those are, he's talking to the board up around to control the lights in the stage that are like already set up. Making these rigs, you have to know how can I get information to be sent to these lighting instruments via the operating board to everything. And, it, and so I have full control of every light. Okay, so obviously if you have a, a, a light bank of like, 10 S60s, right? They all run off of Edison power. So that's not that big of a deal. You put a lunchbox in there, it gives power to all of them. But we don't just want power. We want to be able to talk to the lights and manipulate the lights, do whatever it is the gaffer needs them to do. And so there are instruments. There's this one thing, if, you, if you're listening to this and you want to really know about like how how these things get accomplished, look into Rat Pack, R-A-T-P-A-C. And they make a variety of different products that allow you to plug in and be able to get DMX from all these panels, from all these lighting instruments down to a board. And But it's a whole bunch of different ways that things can be done. So you have, you have your specific reasons for it. But so you have to pick the, the right equipment and then you have to make sure that it's going to do exactly what you want it to do. And you also have to know, like, well, what are the expectations of the 
of the shooting crew gaffer and the light op and the board operator. And you have to be ready for like whatever it is that they're going to want to be able to do. You have to know that ahead of time and, and make it happen. So what come when you're getting ready to, to do a rig, do you, what type of material do you get before you're coming in to do a pre-rig? Do you have a plot? What kind of information and layout um, do they provide you? So ideally you have a plot, but a plot doesn't always happen because if a show moves at a certain pace, there's like almost no time to make a plot. You just kind of make it happen. You know, like somebody will get in there and I'd be like, all right, just make sure there's lights here and here and here. And you know, there's not really a plot necessary for that. You just figure it out as you go in. But on like shows that are not going to move as fast. So like any, any, most features, automatically we'll make sure that they have the time to get things done correctly and they'll have a plot and you know they'll say okay well we need to have each fixture in these specific locations okay well obviously it's not like there's one there's one box up there that just feeds electricity to all these things and so you got to figure out okay i'm going to put a box here to feed electricity to uh these 10 instruments and another box here for these 10 instruments or however it is. And you're going to always going to have various instruments with various electrical needs. And you need to be able to have all those things ready. So obviously you're going to have 18 K's and S 60s and whatever it is, LEDs to rig up there in the ceiling, at least on a stage. I'm, I'm thinking about a stage and you figure it out. I mean, some, sometimes depending on the light, uh, the board op and the shooting and the shooting gaffer, they want things to be wired in a specific way so that that will be easily operable by the board operator. You have to take that into account. But for the most part, you get a lighting plot. You deal with your electricity first. At least like you bring like your main trunk lines up, right? You'd be like the main, the big four-odd cable all the way up into the ceiling so that you could branch off from there and feed electricity to wherever you need it to go. And then also you got to figure out how you're going to do your DMX because that, that, that changes the game too. It's like, well, they want to have all the sky panels on one universe and they want to have all the whatever on another universe. Okay, well, if it's going to be like that, then now you're going to have to figure out not only how to route your electricity, but your DMX. So it get, it can get complicated, but at the end of the day, it's not rocket science. Especially if you've invested the time into, you know, learning all that stuff. Um, it eventually does become second nature, but it takes, it takes time to get there. And I think, you know, if you're going to try to get into the G&E team, you have to realize that you're not going to find success overnight. And it's going to, you know, take you a little while to get where you think you should get. Um, what, what would Fernando now tell Fernando, young Fernando, if young Fernando came to him and said, Hey, I want to do this movie business thing. Like what's the one thing, the little tidbit of advice that you would have given your younger self then if you could have. Uh, shut up and work hard. Nice. Yeah, that I mean, pretty pretty easy, pretty succinct, but but that's like the thing. There are I've learned 
the hard way that there are times to talk and there are times to bring things up. And then there are times where you just have to accept whatever you're being told and say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and get it done. Because, I mean, there have been times where, like, I've been told to do a rig with the rest of my crew, and we're all looking at each other like, is that what he said to do? And then someone's like, yeah, that's that's what he wanted. And you go, okay, let's get it done. So it's it's always about, like, knowing when to talk is like a thing, you know, because you don't want to overstep boundaries. You don't want to step on any toes and you definitely don't want to seem like, like you're trying to outshine anybody. The way you outshine people is by working your butt off and not talking about it. Right. People will take notice. People will take notice. I promise you. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good point to, to end on is is trust your superiors if they give you an order even if it seems a tiny bit off obviously within the realms of being safe like we previously talked about but they know better if they're telling you to build this or do that then move in that direction if you have a follow-up question ask it but otherwise trust that they're in that position for a reason and if you do your job right time and time again it will be noticed and that's exactly how you move up from well i mean you started as a pa in the photo department and have now transitioned to atlanta as a rigging electric i mean you make those steps by doing your job yeah doing your job listening listening and, and you know what and asking and asking, I've encountered more people who are willing to help me if I ask the right questions in a nice way than people who don't want to tell me anything. For the most part, people, like, the way that they learned is by asking other people. And so they're always willing to pass on that information. You just got to know, one, when it's appropriate to speak. So obviously you're not going to ask them in the middle of the day when you're trying to get 20 things done. You're going to ask them at the end of the day. Yeah. Hey, listen, I noticed that you um, that you lit from this side instead of that side. Uh, I was always taught to do it like this because of blah, blah, blah. But you did it like this. Like, can you explain that a little bit more? And most of the time they'll tell you. People like, in this industry yeah, want sure. to teach people. That's just the, that's just the nature of the business. Um, the film industry, you know, most crew, most individuals want to teach and want to help the next generation. You, you find that more times than not. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm always, I am always excited about sharing my knowledge with other people who are looking to join into the business because it's not always something that people, uh, that, that you're going to have people who are willing to talk to you about. I mean, at, like in the, in the, in the sense of like that you can call and talk on the phone with them for like an hour. Like I was on the phone with somebody. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I was on the phone with somebody who like, I never met this woman in my life. I have no idea who she is, but a friend of mine knows that I work in the business that I work in in Atlanta and that a friend of hers had some questions. And I was, and I was on the phone with this woman for an hour. She's like, oh my God, this is so like, I never knew it was like this. And thank you so much. It was so insightful. And I, I relish in the opportunity to do that because I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for other people being good to me, slowing down, teaching me, and showing me how to do it correctly. You always got to 
pass it forward. Well, on that note, how can people uh, get a hold of you if they do want to uh, follow you or, or, you know, ask you questions? Sure. Uh, I am on Instagram, 30 underscore J. So that's F-E-R-D-I-E underscore J. I barely post anything. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'll post once in a while, um, but I'm definitely not like a social media guru kind of person. Uh, that would be the honestly best way to get in contact with me. I mean, I could give you an email if you're an email kind of person. That's fine too, uh, which is fjgc88 at gmail.com if you wanted to send me an email. But hit me up on that on that IG, dog. that was so convincing fernando thank you (laughs) hey man thanks so much for your time um really do appreciate it and uh look forward to hearing about your next projects once uh everything uh opens back up oh me too yeah i was working on a uh on a on a disney plus thing man and and i was really really excited about it and then this whole thing happened and it just that's yeah. it. <laughs> We're gonna just wait, wait, wait until this thing, and who knows when that's gonna happen. Anybody's guess is as good as mine. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, brother. We appreciate you as always, and uh, stay safe out there, man. Hey, man take thanks it easy. for having me. You too. Bye. Bye. Kevin. Josh. It's the end of the podcast. So, what does that mean? It means that if you're listening, we want a follow and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Check us out at fgipodcast.com as well. Yeah, and follow us on the social medias at FGI Podcast. Hopefully, you've gotten something out of the episode. So, we really appreciate the support by leaving your likes and reviews. <laughs>